Let us open our Bibles up to Romans, the 10th chapter, verses 13 through 17. The Pew Bible, it's on page 1007. That is Romans 10, verses 13 through 17. I will be reading from the New King James this morning. For whosoever called upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings and of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It's a wonderful and busy time of the year with so many graduations and weddings and things of that nature. And of course, as a church family today, we will gather again at 1 o'clock, and uh, we'll have a funeral service to give memory uh, to a good and a wonderful life that was lived by Brother Marshall Wilhite. Let's continue to pray for his family and for each other. Uh, tremendous loss in the life of our congregation. You know, as, as I grow older, I, I've celebrated the big 40th a couple of years ago, and, and I know several of you told me then, and it's all coming true, uh, my arms need to be a little bit longer, and now anytime there's any kind of noise in the background, I can't understand what people say. My, my hearing is starting to go. It's really frustrating, and as I, as I think about the topic of hearing today, I read a joke that it means a lot more to me now than it did a few years ago because I'm like, yeah, I could do that right there. The joke was like this, three older guys were out golfing, and and it was a windy March day, and, and the first says to the other, says, wow, it's really a windy day. And the second says, no, no, it's Thursday. And, and to that, the third one says, me too, let's go get something to drink. You know, when you think about communication, there's really not that much easy and simple about communication. How many times have we told someone a certain place that we would meet and, and maybe a certain thing that we would do and maybe even certain things that we ought to bring for the gathering and then we find out that we've been totally misunderstood. We thought we clearly communicated. They simply misunderstood. Perhaps it's our fault. Perhaps it's their fault. It doesn't matter. What we find out is that in communication, there's a lot of noise. 
There's a lot of things that distracts us. There's a lot of things that hinders us from being successful in our communication. Did you notice the reading that was already so capably read this morning of the text where the Lord describes to us how important it is to hear? You see, he he talks about that Savior that we can call upon His name and we can be saved, but yet, who would call if they didn't believe? Well, who would believe if they haven't heard. And then that is then the plea for we need preachers. We need teachers. We need individuals that will go out and they will speak a message that can be heard. A message that can be clearly understood. We're in a town of Mount Juliet that's full of individuals that they need a message. They need the message of God. And as a matter of fact, in this text, he says those that would take that message have beautiful feet. Now, he's not looking at the apostles' feet or a preacher's feet or at the teacher's feet and describing the physical aspects of their feet. He's describing that message. Feet that take that message take a beautiful, beautiful message. I would like for you to notice before we turn back, I trust you have your Bible open there to to 1,007 in your pew Bible, or if you're in your uh, Bible in Romans, the 10th chapter, look again at verse 13, and then I'm going to ask you to turn with me back to to, uh, the book of Acts in just a moment, which we've been studying through this year. And I'd like for you to notice in the 10th chapter, verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, that's that beautiful message that needs to be heard. It needs to be spoken. He who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wait a minute. That sounds familiar. Do you remember that? Do you remember the day the church began? They had questions about what was happening. If you will, be making your way back to Acts 2. Acts the second chapter. That's on page 966 in your pew Bible. Do you remember the day the church began? They saw the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and that miraculous baptism of the Holy Spirit. They heard the speaking in tongues. They said, surely these people are drunk. Peter stands up and he addresses the fact and he quotes out of their Old Testament prophets to prove, hey, they're not drunk. This is the fulfillment of what the Lord would said would come on the day that the church was established. And so he quotes down until verse 21 because then he's going to use that as a transition verse. He's going to say, see, all of these things were going to be accomplished and now the last thing that he quotes there in 21, and this shall come to pass, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's that message. That's that good news that needs to be spoken. It needs to be heard call on the name of the Lord. But keep in mind, Israel, the Jews that he is addressing here, and by the way, that's who Paul is addressing in the book of Romans in the 10th chapter. Israel that he's addressing, they haven't heard the message yet. The prophet spoke of Jesus. And when Jesus came, did they listen to what the prophet said? Did they listen to what Jesus said? Did they listen to what John the Baptist said? No. They ignored everything that was said and they crucified Jesus. And now what was the task of the apostles? Think of this. The task of the apostle was just step up and do the same things that others have been doing. We want to give you this same message. We can't change it. If we changed it, it wouldn't be a beautiful message. We want to give you this same message. 21, whoever calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. You remember 22. Who is that man? 
It's Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you, by miracles, wonders. Do you see what the message is? It's the same message. We've been telling you that Jesus is the Savior. He is the Messiah. Now pause here for just a moment. How could this be a good message for these people? Because in the very same verse that we're reading there in 22 and 23, we learn that they were the ones who had crucified Jesus. Do you think that's going to be a beautiful message to those people? Now, if you haven't already made the application to today, notice what I'm asking you to do with the truth that's taught in this principle. You may have neighbors and you may have co-workers that you may be thinking to yourself, I'm not going to talk to them this summer about Jesus because the gospel of Jesus Christ would not be good news to them. They would see how many things that they had to change in their life and they would never do it. They would look at that gospel and they would hate that gospel. They would turn away from that gospel. Is there anybody right now in your mind that as we've been talking for the last several weeks of of reaching the town we live in, and you've already thought to yourself, well, I won't reach out to them. I want to beg you this morning to rethink that. Because if there was anybody, according to that logic of thinking, that should not have been taking the good news of Jesus Christ, it should have been this crowd in Acts the second chapter. They were the ones that crucified Jesus. We don't need to take them the gospel of Jesus Christ. No. Friends, as I was writing this lesson, I literally spent way too much time because I just got entangled into this particular study that that if we had time, we could literally spend the next couple of hours flipping through the book of Acts and noticing every time the good news was preached. In other words, it was heard. It created beautiful results for those who would accept it. Here's the crowd that had crucified the Lord. They are told this beautiful message. And I want you to notice out of all the description, I want you to pretend. I know that most of you know the end of this story in Acts the second chapter. I want you to pretend you don't know it. I want you to pretend you've never heard this story before and somebody sets the, the setting up for you and says, here's the people that crucified the Lord and Peter's going to stand in front of them and said, oh, by the way, you could have been saved, but you'd have to call on the name of the one that you hate and you despise so much. Would you expect it to end like this? Listen to this description in 41. Then those who gladly received his word do what? Did, did we change audiences? Did we change messages? How can you have the ones that crucify the Lord? And it says, they who gladly received His word. And then, like, skip down and read 46. What did this crowd do? So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added the church daily, such as should be saved. How can we talk about a group that gladly received the word? A group that once they received the word, they gladly went in out of each other's homes. They, they practiced a simple Christianity. They found themselves praising God. Friends, I want you to see that there's nothing from a carnal nature that makes sense in that. There's nothing from a human standpoint where we say, okay. 
Okay, that, that's exactly the way I thought it would be. Friends, what we're looking at is Romans 1 and 16 where he talks about, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God into salvation. Peter could have said, as he observed the audience, can you imagine him standing up and saying, wow, these are the same people that crucified Jesus. I can't speak the gospel. I can't talk about Jesus. These are the ones that crucified him. No, he wasn't ashamed of the gospel He boldly proclaimed the gospel, and it touched people's hearts. It pricked them. It cut them deeply, and they said, what shall we do to be saved? They gladly received it. Now, as I said, we could flip the pages. If you'll just indulge me to do this just one more time, I want you to see how for those that received it, it happens every time. We're just going to look at at another example. Just flip your page to Acts, the third chapter right here. You remember, we've studied this several weeks ago. You remember that the lame man was healed. And it created quite a stir in the town. How did these men do this? And of course, Peter and John are going to give credit to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that's what they do in 13. They give Jesus the credit, but they also remind them that the Jesus that gets the credit for healing this man is the same one that you guys denied. You took him before Pilate. In 14, you denied the Holy One, the Just One. Instead, you asked for a murder to be granted to you. And notice, could it be any more clearly stated, 15, and killed the prince of life. What a message. The one you needed. The ones the prophet said, he's coming, but you wouldn't hear. The one John the Baptist said, he's here, but you wouldn't hear. The one Jesus Christ said, I am he, and you wouldn't hear. What is Peter and John going to do? They're not going to change the message. They're going to boldly stand up and say the same exact message. Oh, You like what you saw in the power of the man being healed? It's the same Jesus Christ. Where's the appeal in this message? Skip down and read verse 19, and that's the appeal. This Jesus offers for individuals to repent, therefore, and be converted. Notice this, that your sins may be blotted out, that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Jesus is offering no matter who we are. We're the ones that put the spikes in his hands and his feet. Jesus is offering everyone to say, I'll forgive you. You repent, I'll blot out your sins. And I love that next phrase. I will refresh you. Surely everybody here can look back in their life and if you had to get out a pencil and piece of paper and write words that nobody except you and God would see, you could write down things that you'd say, things I wish I would have never done. Things I wish I would have never said. If I could rewind time, I would not do this the same. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord says to the very people that put Him on the cross, I can refresh you. I can't rewind time, but I can let you start again. You've been coloring and you've gone badly outside the lines. I can let you turn the page. And I can let you start coloring again inside the lines. I can refresh you. I can make your soul new. White as snow. Friends, 
I know we probably know this, but I'm just trying to bring our eyes to it a little more stronger this morning. Do you see why the message is a beautiful message? Do you see why feet that take that message is, is a beautiful message? It's because you can go up to people that when, when you tell them this message, they're going to say, that's me. I'm the sinner that God's talking about there. I'm in trouble. I'm doomed. And that same message says, no, you don't have to be doomed. That's why we're bringing you the message. You can turn. God will forgive. God will refresh you. God will let you begin anew. Who is it on your street, instead of you saying, I would never take them the gospel, that now you look at them and say, I've got to take them the gospel. The gospel was written for them. It's the good news because it's always been able to take lives and create beautiful, beautiful results. As we think about going back to our text in Romans 10, these beautiful feet, I'd like for you to notice also a little earlier than the text that we wrote, that we read, I'd like for you to see what Paul wrote about what is attached to those beautiful feet. You see, we also find that there's a beautiful heart attached to those beautiful feet as we think about our uh, heart's desire. Look at Paul, if you will, in the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. And I would, I would like for you to keep in mind the setting. Uh, it'll help as we study this today, but even more so, I'd just like you to keep it in mind as you study Romans the 10th chapter. Because, you know, there are several passages in Romans the 10th chapter that are brought out of context and used in a religious world very frequently today. And just keep in mind, in context, what he is doing is just what we've been going over in the beginning of the book of Acts. He's looking at Israel. At the beginning book, Acts 2, Acts 3, Acts 4, he's, Acts 9, Saul. He's looking at Israel and he's saying, I'm giving you the same message again. He still is the Messiah. If you want to turn your life, turn to him. If you won't believe it, if you won't confess it, there's no hope for you. And so now Paul, as you know, in Acts the ninth chapter, has believed it. He's converted. And now he has this deep regret that Israel, at least all of them, are not buying into this. And so that's why he writes the 10th chapter. But notice these strong words as he says in the 10th chapter in verse 1 about his heart's desire. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Heart's desire. What's your heart's desire? I'd say many of us probably enjoy at least some aspect of the Olympics. Maybe one reason we like to watch that is because we like to see people do things that is their heart's desire. When we watch the Olympics, we're watching every participant of it as someone who has given their heart into what they are participating in. Where we place our heart It's where we make sure that we brush up on our skills. It's where our deepest desires are. It's where we make sure that we're doing it the best we can do and that we're doing it right. Paul, what is your heart's desire? He says, it's what I pray about. Paul, what's your heart's desire and what's your prayer? Notice again, for Israel is that they may be saved. Friends, we can come together for the next few Sundays and we can talk about what we're going to try to do this this summer, June and July especially, to try to reach our town. But you know, ultimately, it's going to come down a whole lot to individually. What's your heart's desire and what's your prayer?
Have you been fervently praying for the souls to be reached on your street, in your office, your workplace, your school? Can you truthfully say to your God right now, God, you know it is my heart's desire. You know I can't go throughout a day without praying to you about this. Can I put my name there instead of my in the 10th chapter and verse 1? David's heart's desire and prayer to God for Mount Juliet is that they may be saved. Later in this same chapter is where he talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who take the gospel. Because how could they believe if they couldn't hear? Well, who are the ones that's going to take the gospel? Friends, it's going to have to be individuals that it's their heart's desire. It's going to have to be individuals that it's their, their deep prayer. I'd like for you to think, as we think about Paul, and we think, well, how deep was the desire for Paul? Back up, if you will, to the ninth chapter. Romans, the ninth chapter. And this gives us a little bit of insight that if... You think this in its fullness sense is probably one of the most amazing verses in the Bible to discuss the love that someone would have for someone else simply because they are a soul? If you really, really think about eternity, if you think about what it means to live with God in the presence of God forever, or if you think about what it is to be separated from God and to live in hell forever, and then you think about Paul being able to say this in Romans the ninth chapter, I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit. Do you think Paul's wanting to get across the idea, hey, I'm about to tell you something you're going to have a hard time believing, but I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you in Jesus Christ. I'm telling you my conscience is, is, it could vouch for this, but even the Holy Spirit could vouch for my conscience. In other words, Paul's coming at every different angle to say, you're probably going to say, Paul's just, just gibbering here. Paul's saying, I'm telling you the truth. I really mean what I'm about to say, verse 2, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. Well, now he's continuing to describe how serious this situation is. It's not a little bit of sorrow. Oh, I think about it occasionally. He says, I'm carrying this sorrow. And not only that, it's grief. It's not just one day. I'm bearing this grief day in and day out. Paul, what is it that you say it's going to be hard for us to believe? It's a burden that you carry day in and day out. Here it is. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, for my countrymen, according to the flesh. Can you say that? Lord, you line up every resident of Mount Juliet. And if you will save them and cast me into hell for an eternity... I would make that exchange. Paul, what's your heart's desire? He said, I want Israel to be saved so desperately. I would die lost if it would save Israel. I want you to imagine right now Satan standing here not that cute form that he presents himself, but with no deception. He's the one that destroys. He destroys lives. He destroys souls. He's the one that hates you. He wants you 
to be separated from God for eternity. When we look at things that people do and we say, how could somebody do that? He's the one that is the force behind someone doing that. All the pain that you can imagine in the world, he is ultimately behind all of that. And then on the other hand, we have over here Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ still has the scars proving his love for you. Jesus Christ has always been faithful to you. Jesus Christ has done nothing except help you. And he would do everything that would be good for you. And you have the opportunity to live with one or the other for eternity. One in peace and comfort and happiness and holiness and the other in a lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Utter darkness and men's gnashing of teeth and crying out is heard. And Right now, you have to make your choice. Which one do you want to live with? You say, hands down. I want to live with the Lord. But then, He makes you that offer. If you live with Satan, I'll save the people that live on your street. Would you do it? Paul says, I know you're going to have a hard time believing this, but I would go to hell if it would mean Israel being saved. Why, Paul? The very next chapter, 10th chapter and verse 1, is my heart's desire. In other words, Paul is saying, if I had to make a list of things that I want more than anything, I want Israel to be saved. Paul doesn't know all of Israel. Paul is looking at his countrymen. He's looking at people he's never met before. And he's saying, I want them to be saved. It's my heart stream. It, it, it is my prayer. It is my desire. Friends, how desperately, how deep, how real is it when we say, I want the town of Mount Juliet to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we reflect a similar passion and a similar heart as Paul? You see, gospel needs to be heard. But in our world, there's a lot of noise pollution. There's a lot of noise that distracts us and it drowns out what needs to be heard. Look with me as we close this lesson of what the distractions are. Verse 2, Romans the 10th chapter. We'll run into people in our communities that have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Oh, they're zealous because God forms us to have a hunger for Him. And so they're zealous to find that God, but nobody has helped them by saying, let's tune everything else out. Let's sit down and let's study just the Word of God. You know one of the most dangerous things you can do is get somebody excited about something that they know nothing about how to accomplish? It's just like opening up a locomotive at 70 miles an hour and then taking the rails away. 
You get people excited about God, but don't teach them the knowledge. There's a lot of distraction. We have the opportunity to sit down with our neighbors, to sit down with those that have interest to say, let's have zeal with knowledge. You see, it could also be said in another way in verse 3. There we see an ignorance. It's an ignorance that they find in their own self-righteousness. You see there in verse 3, they're ignorant of God's righteousness. So what do they do? They seek to establish their own righteousness. You know, recently, the topic of homosexuality has been in the news so many times lately. And surely you've seen all of these quotes from movie stars. And some of them, for example, Miley Cyrus, and, and I know she's young. I'm not trying to pick on her, but she's the one that put it out there. She, she quotes and refers to the Bible and then talks about how homosexuality is justified because of the first greatest commandment. Friends, what is that? That is ignorance, where someone sets up and establishes their own righteousness, and they are void of God's righteousness. Friends, that happens on almost any topic we could bring up about life. Almost any topic. We want to go to our neighbors and talk about salvation. What are they going to talk about, about how God saves? They may have established their own righteousness. What if we can sit down with our neighbors over the next few weeks and close out that noise pollution and say, let's just open the Word of God. I want you to hear God's Word. Why? Because ultimately the greatest distraction, the end of it all, comes out of verse 17 if we want to use it in an opposite form. Verse 17 is faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. What happens when people do not hear the Word of God? They cannot build faith. It's that simple. People cannot be faithful. People will be faithless whenever, whenever they do not hear the Word of God. In Acts, the 8th chapter, as we close this morning. I think about our mission this summer. And I think about the words that were recorded about Philip when he went into Samaria. In Acts, the 8th chapter. He walks into this town. He tells us in verse 5. Now, I want you to think about it as it deals with hearing. He preached Christ. How can they hear unless someone preaches how beautiful his feet were? Why were his feet beautiful? He took the message of Jesus Christ and they received it. And I want to read you, and you read along with me, verse 8. This is the whole verse, verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. That's why it's a beautiful message. How many times have those of us that have studied with individuals, have studied with individuals that while we've studied, they've cried in regret over what they've done. And then we've welcomed them as they have come out of the watery grave of baptism. And they know that their sins are forgiven. They know that they are right and one with God. And now those tears are not sorrow now. Those tears of joy. There's great joy in that individual's life. There's great joy in that family's life. There's great joy in a city. Paul, or Luke, recording in the book of Acts, tell us about that city of Samaria. Tell us what happens when the good news is taken there and the noise pollution is taken out and just the gospel is preached. He says, I tell you what it looks like. When it's done, there's great joy in that city. Friends, I beg you to believe and to pray and to desire to see a difference in our town over the next two months. 
a real difference where there is a joy that is deep because it is found in the message of Jesus Christ. Let's be ever so prayerful. Let's let it be our heart's desire. And let's begin this morning by making our lives right with God. If your life is right with God, continue to live and continue to bring others. If your life isn't right with God, let's make it right this morning and let's be serious about reaching out to others. If you've not been baptized into Christ, why not this morning? If you have been and you've strayed, why not come back this morning? There's a beautiful message that Jesus Christ offers. The question is, do you hear it? Do you hear it? He doesn't change the message, but eventually we have to stop to hear it. If we can help you come as we stand, as we sing.